Hello, A Beyond Belief is a podcast by for and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. I just realized I didn't prepare any kind of an introduction for today's topic, <laughs> and I, I hope that tonight goes well. You know, as I was chatting with Angela just before uh, we went live here, and I'm like, uh, what is there to say about this tradition? <laughs> you know, I hope that we can uh, keep a conversation going, but I'm sure that we will. Um, something interesting that we might do today, uh, there's a couple of different ways to contact us other than just by phone. Um, you can call us at our toll-free number of 844-899-8278 and I'll put that number up but also um, experimentally I can put out some links that you can um, uh, click on and uh, one of those will bring you to our StreamYard studio where you can just be right here where we are and so if you have like a you know microphone and a earplugs and so forth that might be good and then I have another link you can use um, to just uh, go to another web interface for web calls. So anyway, completely nerdy stuff. But if you'd like to experiment with that, that might be kind of fun. So um, getting all fancy. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I always like the the any, any, any new and interesting little gadget. I like to play with them. So anyway, um, so today's topic is going to be about Tradition 3. And Tradition 3 reads that the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Um, I read a little bit of the 12 and 12. I actually read the entire tradition, the 12 and 12. It's not that big, long of a read. And what I got from it basically were three ideas. Uh, that would be you're an AA member if you say so. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can declare yourself declare you out. And you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself to be one. And it's just quite that simple. Um, I don't know, Angela, what kind of preparation did you do uh, for this episode? Well, I went to the Illustrated <laughs> 12 Traditions. Um, you can find that on the AA.org. Um, it was a pamphlet that came out in 1971. Um, and it basically has all of the traditions and a little bit of um, why they're there, where they came from. And it's illustrated, so it has cartoons and stuff, which oh, made cool. it yeah, much much easier to, to digest. Um and, uh, and so I looked at that, and then I went to um, the pamphlet, uh, uh, Conference Approved Literature of AA Tradition, uh, How It Developed by Bill W. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I looked at what it had to say about that. And so if people don't call in, I will be forced to <laughs> have to read what they say about Tradition 3 in this little pamphlet, which, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's okay, but... Uh, but I'd love to hear what other people have to say on it as well. And this came out in, uh, the copyright is 1955, and this version, I think, is 1983. So, anyway. Um, it would so, also be yeah. interesting to know some of the history behind it. Um, you know, I, in the 12 and 12, it just mentioned that early on that AA groups had a lot of different membership requirements. I guess that they were afraid that, you know, some people might join their group that would give them a bad name or something. And, you know, it would bring bring an end to the fellowship is what Bill wrote anyway in the 12 and 12. And now I've read Ernest Kurtz is not God, and I'm sure that he addressed tradition three in there somewhere. But I just don't remember for the life of me and didn't have time to go back and research it. But I did play the tape and we'll play some excerpts of it during this episode from Barry L., um, that uh, from a talk he gave at the International AA Conference in 1985 that was held in Montreal, Canada. And in that, he does something really interesting. He talks about this tradition, reading it from the big book as Bill wrote it in the 1950s, and then playing a tape of Bill talking about the very same thing in 1968. And there's a real huge difference between the two which I found really, really interesting. So we can play that as well. So, yeah. So anyway, um, hmm. Do you want me to read this? Yeah, should go we, ahead. Should we, should we do uh, AA Beyond Belief uh, Conference Approved Literature go Reading Hour <laughs> with 
John and Angela. So, okay, I need to get a more authoritative voice going here. But <laughs> um, on page 10 here, it says, who is a member of Alcoholics Anonymous? And this is 1946. Um, it says, Tradition 3 grew out of this piece by Bill W. in the AA Grapevine. The first edition of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, makes this brief statement about membership. The only requirement for membership is an honest desire to stop drinking. We are not allied with any particular face set sect or denomination, nor do we oppose anyone. We simply wish to be helpful to those who are afflicted. Uh, this expressed our feelings as of 1939, the year our book was published. Since that day, all kinds of experiments with membership have been tried. The number of membership rules which have been made, and mostly broken, are legion. Two or three years ago, the general office asked groups to list their membership rules and send them in. After they arrived, we set them all down. They took a great many sheets of paper. A little reflection upon these many rules brought us to the astonishing conclusion. If all these edicts had been in force everywhere at once, it would have been practically impossible for any alcoholic to ever join Alcoholics Anonymous. About nine-tenths of our oldest and best members could never have got by. How do you get to be a best member of know, Alcoholics Anonymous? Kind of uh, yeah, the yeah. Hashtag goals. Um, <laughs> and it goes on. In some cases, we would have been too discouraged by the demands made upon us. Most of the early members of AA would have been thrown out because they slipped too much, because their morals were too bad, mm. because they had mental as well as alcoholic difficulties, or believe it or not, because they did not come from the so-called better classes of society. Mm. We oldsters could have been excluded for our failure to read the book Alcoholics Anonymous or the refusal of our sponsor to vouch for us as a candidate. And so on ad infinitum. He really likes that phrase, huh? Yeah. Um, the way our worthy alcoholics have sometimes tried to judge the less worthy is, as we look back on it, rather comical. Imagine, if you can, one alcoholic judging another. Right. Yeah. He, and so... Know. He also mentioned, I think in the 12 and 12, the ridiculous idea of uh, people insisting on a pure alcoholic. And what I found when I read that, that was interesting to me is I still kind of see people kind of talking that way sometimes. I mean, the biggest controversy uh, that surrounds this tradition that I see, well, there's a couple. One is that uh, people insist that if you have a drug problem, you can't talk about it in meetings. And, uh, that's one of the issues and then, and then, and they don't even want them to introduce themselves as drug addicts. That's, that's, that's a one. And then I've also seen issues with some secular groups who were accused of having like outside affiliations and therefore, you know, wouldn't be, um, listed, you know, they, they, that they would see those groups as somewhat different than the, like the LGBTQ groups and, and so forth for whatever reason. Um, and also I've noticed that, like whenever I go to my area assembly, when I've heard talk about this tradition and a lot of times they, they bring out the long form of the tradition and they try to kind of like, I don't know, kind of, kind of make it contrary to what I think the, the tradition is meant to be. The tradition is meant to be as inclusive as possible. But when they read the long form of the tradition, it says um, our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. And people seem to make that, that, that that that's when you might hear people every once in a while talk about how you need to be a real alcoholic and you know you can't have other problems you know and I don't think that they they meant that when they wrote that it, you know when when I whenever you hear Bill W talk about this tradition in any recording he always talks about it from the perspective of making AA as inclusive as possible and that it's none of our business to ask somebody about their drinking or their you know so, you know, that's kind of frustrating when people always throw out that long form of the tradition and try to use it as a way to narrow down um, who should be an AA member. Oh, yeah, definitely. I've been in meetings where um, they were closed meetings. And if somebody was new and and said that they were addict, they would stop the meeting and ask the person if they had an honest desire to stop drinking. And if they said no, they would ask them to leave the meeting. Yeah. So, yeah. And that yeah. is so stupid. You know, I, I thought about that, too. Um, you know, we had, the, I, I was guilty of the stupidity at one time. Um, there was a guy, no who, way. yes, there was a guy, <laughs> someone came to our meeting and um, he introduced himself as just having an eating problem, an eating disorder. He didn't say anything about drinking or anything like that. And 
I think I said, well, do you have a desire to stop drinking? And um, he said, it kind of threw him off. He was kind of confused. I don't know, desire to stop drinking? And it turns out, yes, he did. He did have a, a he did have a desire, but he just didn't put it in that kind of language. You know, it's like, you know, when I first showed up in AA, if someone said, do you have a desire to stop drinking? I said, I don't really want to stop drinking. I really don't, but right. I think I have to, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, now I just, I would never ask it. That was the only time I ever did that, by the way, but I would never do that again. If someone just, especially at that first meeting, just let the person just Give, give them some space to figure out, you know, where, where, if they belong there or not, they'll know for themselves, right. you know? Um, but, um, right. and I know and one if you time, share in an open way, because yeah. um, I've had people who were new to our meeting, um, that would come up to me afterwards and say, well, actually, you know, I, I, I um, don't know that I have a drinking problem. I, I have this addiction and, uh, you know, but I can't find help for that or whatever. And, and um, yeah, and I let them know that they were welcome at our meeting if they were, you know, trying to recover uh, in general and that, you know, that, yeah, they could share if they wanted or not share if they wanted, you know, and, and, um, and so, yeah, so the, some of them came for a little while and got what they needed and, and left. But, um, but yeah, uh, a lot of people I don't think share um, out loud about, you know, if that's the main reason they're there. Um, I've shared before that, you know, I had um, several other things before alcohol, you know, I, I tried lots of stuff. Um, and, um, and so, you know, does that make me a true alcoholic? <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I would dare anybody in, in my area to, to ask me that, but they haven't. Um, so lucky. Well, for you them. know what, I um, think it's so nice about that tradition. This is actually one of the traditions that I read at my first meeting and it made me feel comfortable that I belong there because one of the things that I struggled with um, when when from the time I was 19 years old to the time I was 25 I struggled with that word alcoholic and couldn't could not seem to um, could not seem to identify with that being an alcoholic because I just had it in my mind that that was somebody who had like advanced, you know, liver disease was in their fifties or sixties and, you know, was having all these other issues. Which and, is really old, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm almost, I'm out there now, <laughs> but yeah, I can actually be one now. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, at that time it was like ancient. <laughs> right. And anyway, so I thought, um, that's what I was, that was in what that was in my mind of what, and I'm like, and I thought there's no, you know, I'm not that. So, and I was really kind of afraid that I would find out that I'm not an alcoholic and I couldn't go to these meetings and I really needed to stop drinking. I didn't know what else to do. But that first meeting put took all that aside. I felt totally welcome there. And I saw that the only requirement was a desire to stop drinking. I said, yes, I do have that. You know, um, I do have a desire to stop drinking. Something something needs to change. So, yeah. So um, that tradition was, you know, kind of a lifesaver for me, I guess. Anyway, but... Well, do you want to play some of the uh, Oh, yeah, let's do talk about that a little bit. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I posted this in the Facebook group. Um, Joe C. from Rebe- Rebellion Dogs Radio, oh, gosh, a few years ago, maybe four or five years ago, he posted something on his site that I ran across um, and discovered for the first time. And it was, it just blew me away. Um, what it was is Barry Leach, who was the author of um, Living Sober, who got sober in 1945, was giving a talk in Montreal about uh, the third tradition. And he read from the 12 and 12, and then he played a tape from uh, Bill Wilson's um, take on the tradition. And they were a little bit different, and I found that quite interesting. So let's just go ahead and play that. Let me uh, call that up here, and let's see how this works. Hopefully you can hear this okay. Here we go. This is Barry L. um, talking about the third tradition in uh, 1985. I want to talk a little bit about our third tradition and the way it got started, instead of talking about my drinking or any of those dull things. I'm going to read first from the book Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions, two or three lines written by Bill and published in 1952. And you will hear this language that I'm going to read in just a few moments in another voice. And I think the next time you get to read the book 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, you might hear this in a different way. On the AA calendar, it was the year two. In that time, nothing could be seen but two struggling, nameless groups of alcoholics trying to hold their faces up to the light. 
a newcomer appeared at one of the groups, knocked on the door, and asked to be let in. He talked frankly with the group's oldest member. He soon proved that his was a desperate case and that above all he wanted to get well. But he asked, will you let me join your group since I am the victim of another addiction even worse stigmatized than alcoholism, you may not want me among you, or will you? There was a dilemma. What should the group do? A few years ago, a friend of mine called me and said, I just found a tape that might interest you. <clears throat> he collects tapes, wrong. And um, he said, this is a tape that Bill made in 1968 at an open meeting. It was the opening night meeting of the General Service Conference, and there were lots of guests there, so this wasn't at an open meeting. And uh, it, he made a talk on all the traditions, and I'm going to play just what he said about Tradition 3. At about year two of the Akron group, a poor devil came to Dr. Baum in a grievous state, he could qualify as an alcoholic, all right. And then he said, Dr. Bob, I've got a real problem to pull you. I don't know if I could join AA because I'm a sex deviator. Well, that had to go out to the group conscience, you know. Up to then, it was supposed that uh, any society could say who was going to join it. And pretty soon, the group conscience began to seethe and boil, and it boiled over. And under no circumstances could we have such a power and such a disgrace among us, said a great man. And you know, right then, our destiny hung on a razor edge over this single case. In other words, would there be rules that could exclude so-called undesirabilities? And that caused us in that time, and for quite a time, respecting this single case, to ponder what is the more important the reputation that we shall have, what people shall think, or is it our character? And who are we, considering our record? Alcoholism is quite as unlovely. Who are we to deny a man his opportunity, any man? Or woman. And finally, the day of resolution came. And a bunch were sitting in Dr. Bob's living room arguing what to do. Whereupon, Darrell Bob looked around and blandly said, isn't it time, folks, to ask ourselves, what would the master do in a situation like this? Would he turn this man away? And that was the beginning of the A tradition, that any man who has a drinking problem is a member of AA, if he says so, not whether we say so. Now, I think that the import of this on the common welfare has already been stagnant because it takes in even more territory than the confines of our fellowship. It takes in the whole world of alcohol. Their charter to freedom, to join AA, is assured. Indeed, it was an act in the general welfare. Well, I thought that was interesting. What'd you think of that, Angela? 
Yeah, yeah, that that was cool. It was different from what uh, had been written before. So showing that Joe, Joe, <laughs> that Bill evolved some. Yeah. Although yeah. I, I couldn't help but wonder if it was during his time, you know, using psychedelics as well. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> so, <laughs> he did talk. He was he was given that talk in 1968. Um, right. It, yeah. Well, it's, it is interesting that he felt when he wrote that in the 1950s. I guess it, it shouldn't surprise me of course you know uh because um homosexuality was absolutely stigmatized and and um it was is just a completely different time than it is today uh so he wouldn't have felt comfortable telling the truth when he wrote that in the 12 and 12 so he instead wrote it um kind of when i read it for in the a first, general way yeah. yeah but when i read it in the first time i assumed that the guy had like a heroin addiction or something like that you know and uh but no he was just like real when he wrote it in the 12 and 12 he wasn't very definitive at all about um what um what the guy's problem was um brie likes the the to hear the voice um you know what i find interesting about the people back then is just the way they talked i mean it's just like you know they almost sound like humphrey bogart or something it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just right. very very dignified voices so yeah it was yeah. kind of interesting to hear to yeah hear they didn't just let anybody behind a microphone to put out a <laughs> podcast or anything like that yeah now the vernacular is kind of weird for for us i mean a sexual deviant you know of course that's not that's absolutely not um the what <laughs> that's ridiculous but that's the way that they saw it then um but they did uh, um, at that time, and, and this is another thing that's really interesting, that that time that Barry was in AA in the 70s is when um, the LGBTQ group started forming. And um, Barry went to Bill W. and asked you know, about that because there was a controversy at the time about whether or not um, gay groups should be listed. you know. And um, ultimately, in another book that I read, um, what I what I heard was uh, somebody said, uh, "Well, if we don't let the gay people in, who's going to answer the phones at central office?" You know, because there there were already so many pe- so many of them in the program and were very active and actively involved. So um, anyway, so they they were our predecessors for secular groups. I mean, they they fought that fight and um, won their place, and it was not easy. You know, and I I have talked to friends who go to. Um, the gay groups in, in Can- the gay group in Kansas City, and they have told me what it was like back in the you know eighties when those groups were getting started, and it wasn't easy yeah. for them at all. Right? Yeah, so, I could see that. So you know, I guess that's part of tradition three too that you can you know, you know, you can do your as long as you're not affiliated with some outside you know organization or something, you can do your own thing. I'm going to go ahead and open the phones up for anybody who wants to call. Um, there's our number. It's 844-899-8278. It'd be interesting to know if you've ever had an issue arise that's related to this tradition or if you have a take on it um, that, you know, might differ from whatever. Um, Joe out there. Oh, that was from this morning. Uh, so he made a comment in the morning. I, I rarely ever hear Joe use the F bomb and he did on our Facebook group. Anyway, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah. So anyway, so that yeah, that was kind of interesting. That that difference between uh, between the two and that and that history. That this tradition really started from um, a gay person wanting to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So yeah. yeah. Well, I I was looking at the the illustrated uh, guide again uh, to this step, and one of the things that it says. Um, but somebody may ask, isn't this tradition itself a rule? Does it state one requirement for membership? Let's read it again and ask another question. Who determines whether or not newcomers qualify, whether they do want to stop drinking? Obviously, nobody except the newcomers themselves. Everybody else simply has to take their word for it. In fact, they don't even have to say it out loud. And that's fortunate for many of us who arrived at AA with only a half-hearted desire to stay sober. We are alive because the AA roads stayed open to us. Um, and, and then it does talk about the specialty groups a little bit. Let's see. The problem, uh, the problem faced by this tradition isn't just past AA history. It keeps coming up. For instance, when a group's delegates 
or when a group debates whether to exclude alcoholics who have problems other than alcohol or have differing lifestyles. The tradition mentions no such additional requirements, no demand that prospective members must not have a history of drug abuse, a certain lifestyle, or an institutional background. All alcoholics are welcome. What about the group that seems to impose extra requirements beyond a desire to stop drinking? This might be a special interest group or a collection of groups in which, for example, each member must be a physician or a young person, a man, a woman, a priest, or a law enforcement officer. By their own account, those attending special interest groups consider themselves AA members first. They attend general membership meetings as well as those that fill their uh, individual needs, and they remain devoted to AA's primary purpose. These special interest groups offer only one instance of the diverse and inclusive membership within our fellowship. Our traditions allow unparalleled freedom, not only to every AA member, but to every AA group. So there you go. So, you know, I, I was at an in- interesting district meeting um, at the many, for the Mini Paths group in Urbana, Illinois. And maybe I'm speaking out of turn to talk about it, but anyway, I'm going to talk about it. So, at, at this at this district meeting, the um, the question was whether or not to list the mini paths group on the district's um, meeting directory, and the problem was that the district was accusing the mini paths group of having an outside affiliation because they had their meeting listed on the secular AA website, and it was just really interesting to watch the back and forth. The GSR from the Mini Paths group was really good. I mean, he was very calm and very polite, and he just did a very good job explaining, um, you know, what their group was about, why they are an AA group, and um, why, you know, what what the secular AA website is, and so forth. And tried to explain that his um, secular group is just a special interest group, like like an LGBTQ group. And you know, there's a there's a um, gala site that that lists gay gay groups and that are also listed on district websites. And the secular A website is just like that. But anyway, they didn't buy it for whatever reason. I don't I don't know how that ultimately turned out. But um, so what happened? Many paths just decided to take their meeting off of the secular AA website so that they could stay on their district website. So that, that was really kind of a misunderstanding, I think, of that tradition. Um, I don't know, you know, why they felt a, such a need to, um, you know, put a burden on the group like that to have to prove that they were an AA group simply because their, their site, their, their um, meeting was listed on some other website. Right, yeah. It's interesting. I, I think there's been quite a few groups that have had issues like that. And, um and so I, I think it, it helps to think about um, service in AA, you know, beyond our group level, because if you, you know, get a GSR and you start to, to make your way within other service at the district level or, you know, um, area level, then you'll be on the boards that determine, you know, if a group, you know, if, if you ultimately have the authority to say that a group can or can't be on, you know, a website. And, um, and so, yeah, I think more of us should get involved like that so that we don't run into that problem anymore, because it really does seem to be whoever has control of the list at that time pretty much decides who gets to be on and who doesn't. And, uh, you know, um, and they use the tradition in whatever way they think it mm-hmm. reads. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody from Facebook um, posted, he said, when I tried to start a secular meeting in the same clubhouse as the traditional AA meeting, I ran into the situation where the traditional members had grave concerns as to how it would appear to the public and how it might make them look in the very religious community. In other words, by me opening a godless AA meeting, it would make them look bad as an AA group. That's really interesting because that's just what the problem that they had in the early days of AA about, you know, setting membership rules because they didn't want to look bad to the to the public. And that's also, I don't know what group, what area you're from, but that's also the problem I think that they ran into in Denver. Um, Jeb's group out there in Denver, uh, the Free Thinkers group, they are still not listed, I don't think, on their um, central office website. And the reason that they were given by the person who ran the central office was that um, they didn't want a newcomer's first impression of AA to be that secular meeting. 
that was the reason they gave. And also, I think they also, because Jeb's meeting meets, <laughs> they meet at a place called the Secular Hub. And so another reason for excluding them was because they were accusing his group of having an outside affiliation because they meet at the Secular Hub. But that was totally ridiculous, too, because all the other groups are meeting in churches. Right, so, yeah. So. My group's not Unitarian. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. So, I mean, if they had to choose a, a you know, a yeah. group to be a part of, I guess that would be okay. But yeah, that's that's pretty pretty silly the group that meets at the library you know are <laughs> are not librarians i don't know it just uh yeah it, it, it reminds me of when i used to use the bible and uh to bash people and and you know um it's it's kind of it feels like the same thing that i would take the things of christianity that i liked and promote those and all the stuff that you know i didn't like or that you know were embarrassed about i would just kind of pretend they didn't exist and and uh, yeah, and so I think that people within the fellowship sometimes do that as well. Peter's bringing something up that I also, I agree with him. I read this. I actually made a note to talk about it. And in the 12 and 12, it talks, it, it, um, after it talks, it gives you the story about Dr. Bob saying, what would the master do? And they let the guy in mm-hmm. and everything. There's, they also tell the story of Ed the Atheist. Right. <laughs> do you remember this? So Ed yeah. the Atheist is like, I, and I'm wondering, I don't know if this is actually Jim Burwell or who it is, but anyway, mm-hmm. so Ed the Atheist is like, um, nobody likes him. <laughs> <laughs> because because he goes on about how he doesn't think he thinks that AA would be better off without all the God stuff, right? And he says mm-hmm. that openly in his meetings and everything, and and people don't like him at all, and they want they they would just assume that he'd go out and get drunk, right? Well, right. Eventually he does. He he holds up in a hotel somewhere, and he's um and he's getting drunk. But fortunately, he he rolls out of bed and he starts reading the Bible. <laughs> And, and then, and then, he, and then like, everything's great for him after that. So, right, right. <laughs> that's, yeah, I agree with you that Peter, that, that was kind of silly. It, it seems like in the big book and the 12 and 12, they really went out of their way to insult atheists as much as they possibly could. But, um, he also says the third tradition worked because they didn't kick him out for blasphemy. And instead he was able to stay around long enough to quote, get it. Yeah. That's that was a real problem. You know, they it's it's interesting that, you know, they like Bill was afraid to write about the gay person. Right. In the 12 and 12. Um, but he seemed to kind of get over that. I guess he I don't know where he was with the with the atheists and so forth. But um, I know that he's given some talks later in life where he, t- where he was more open, I guess, about people interpreting the steps in different ways and so forth. But uh yeah, it's like the atheists when they wrote those books was like totally disregarded as someone who needs to find God is uh, for the most part. So that kind of that kind of gave gives us kind of a rough um, um, going, I guess, you know, of finding our our home in AA. Um, so I guess that's why we have to have our our secular groups. So yeah, right. good good point, Peter. That was an annoying uh, story that didn't really <laughs> didn't really add much to the tradition. I didn't think. No, but. no. But something else I wanted to mention, Angela, is mm-hmm. um, something that happened here with some groups is the reading of the blue card. And I've mentioned this before, too. The blue card, I'll just read what it says. It says, this is a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. In support of AA singleness of purpose, attendance at closed meetings is limited to persons who have a desire to stop drinking. If you think you have a problem with alcohol, you are welcome to attend this meeting. We ask that when discussing our problems, we confine ourselves to those problems as they relate to alcoholism. So, you know, what I've seen happen is people would actually read that blue card and it made uh, people who also had drug problems feel uncomfortable, like they couldn't talk about their other addictions, you know, in meetings or even introduce themselves as an addict. Uh, In fact, we had one person that went to a group like that where the blue card was being read all the time. Um, and you know, he, he wasn't comfortable with that group anymore. So he, he had to, he had to leave, you know, and he started coming to our group. Yeah. So, but I don't, I don't even know why they, they came out with that card. I guess there was a problem. They wanted to control the conversation in some way. Right. But again, you know, they, they don't have control of it. You know, mm-hmm. that was one That's of the right. great things <laughs> in that, right. in that, um, if you listen to the whole, uh, whole thing that Barry L did um he talks about you know how much control the the general conference has over um 
AA members and AA groups, you know, which is none, <laughs> you know, they can make suggestions and have some sort of like a, a moral, you know, um, guidance. Uh, but then, you know, if the groups want to, to follow it, they can, or if they don't, um, you know, I was uh, speaking with some other members, um, I think this last weekend, um, talking about uh, the various groups that are out there they, that get to call themselves AA, because somebody was talking about, you know, who should get to call themselves AA and, and what a group is. And it made me think of one, you know, at a, a lot of meetings, I hear um, people say that uh, when they move or go to a meeting in another town that, that they don't do AA right. And so whatever town or place that you start AA in is the right way to do AA. So some of the places where where the, the group meetings are just people talking about their problems um, is not considered, you know, from people in my area as a real AA group or they're not doing it right because they're not talking about the steps and sponsorship and blah, 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 <laughs> you know? And uh, and so what what is a, a real AA group and, and what isn't, um, you know, are the, um, the back to basics group, um, you know, are they the real AA group and, uh, you know, in our secular groups, not or the Pacific group or the, you know, what is it? The Eastern group, <laughs> you know, Atlantic group, you know, where you have to be dressed up. You have to show up in, in, you know, a suit and tie and women have to wear skirts or dresses and, you know, and certain things get to be said and you're assigned sponsors and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and the thing is, is that they all get to be. AA, you know, yeah. the AA doesn't actually have the authority to, you know, to say, no, you're not an AA meeting. AA um, is what your group decides it is. Right, right. It's so local. That's what it is. AA is all about yeah. your group. Interestingly enough, though, this COVID thing is changing that a bit because, you know, I'm what I'm noticing is that like my group, for example, not not to a large extent, but we're, we get people like your group does from other places come to our meetings and it's getting to be like, you know, our group is not just us people here in Kansas City, but our group is a broader world, you know, which is which is good, but it really kind of changes that local kind of flavor when and it brings in different ideas and ways, which which is not a bad thing. Maybe maybe it'll help in the long run. Right. Yeah. I, well, I think it's, you know, we are a microcosm, as I've said before, of the, the larger picture. And, and some places are struggling with, uh, you know, the international um, idea and whether or not, uh, you know, we should be local uh, rather than global and and things like that. And so this is just another, I think, example of that. Um and, uh, yeah, and, and so I think that there'll be some groups that will want to go back to, you know, just their little core group of people and stuff. Um, and then a lot of us that'll, that'll have a, a mixed kind of thing going on um, and are more open to, to that sort of thing. The funny thing with, with it, though, now that I think about it, though, is that in AA, people go in and out all the time. So right. how, how can we be like, I just want it to be my group oh, the way good. that it was. It's like, you know. Yeah, you're you're gonna have different people. It's it's you know what it's all about. Hi, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. It's Jackie. This Jackie. Hey, guys, doing? Good. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought I'd call in and uh, just chime in a little bit on some of the stuff you guys are talking about. And uh, John, I love that you kind of threw yourself under the bus earlier when you were saying um, that you. <laughs> You asked somebody if yes, I did. I tested him. You know, <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, I, I, you know, I got sober around the same time, same age, and and I used to do that stuff too. And I was thinking about it while I was listening to you guys, and I was thinking, oh, what is that for me? I'm, I'm not going to certainly not going to speak for you, but it was like a fear. Like I was so desperate to get sober and stay sober that I kind of thought I had to uphold the. Um, principles but i don't i'm not saying the principles that they're written because now when we talk about them they're pretty roomy but back then i was just kind of listening to the cool kids or the, the old timers and, <laughs> and the cool kids in, in AA. Right? So, yeah yeah right, right. like you guys like john and angela <laughs> so, so now i'm drinking your cool 
Oh yeah. Uh-huh. I, I was like yeah. that too. But, I mean, um, I, I was totally indoctrinated into like, you know, the group that I went to and they, they, I don't want to put this group down. They're a great bunch and they had great friends there and I stayed sober for a long time, but they really love that big book. And so I had it in my brain that the big book was the best book, the only book you could read. <laughs> and they would dismiss books like um, living sober. And, oh, you don't want to, that's not real. AA, you know, <laughs> so it's like, and, and it's hard to kind of get that out of your brain. That kind of, you know, that thinky, you know, it took me a long yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I'm like, I, I do remember when it started happening. Uh, I remember in my, it's really handy that was part of, and it was kind of not being as nice as you are, John, but um, there's a bunch of guys who wanted to start a little AA home group, you know, like the kind that they were brought up in. And, you know, absolutely no volunteerism. You had to be called on. And, like, it was, and I had lived in other places. They had never lived in other places. And I was like, look, man, when I was out in Fort Worth, like, it was all volunteerism. Nobody celebrated anniversaries. Okay. I mean, here, if, when you get your, your AA anniversary here in the Maryland area, it's like a big freaking party. Like, you share the meeting, call on people who are going to stop the ego. Like, it's crazy. And, um, and they just, all the things I identified myself as that'd take up probably half a meeting so (laughs) (laughs) they're just gonna have to take my word that alcoholic is part of it it was real common when I when I first started coming to meetings it was really common to hear people introduce themselves as I'm so-and-so I'm an alcoholic and a codependent I'm so-and-so I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict I'm so-and-so I'm an alcoholic and all, all these other different things you know and that was like really common and then something somewhere along the way, um, people started um, giving people a hard time for saying things like that for some reason, and get and, and it got a little bit kind of rigid a little bit. And you don't hear people introduce themselves that way so much anymore, um, which is kind of surprising that we kind of went in that direction. Um, but yeah, I've noticed that anyway. Yeah, I blame the sin and uncult. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but uh, that is one of the nice things about secular meetings is that, you know, people can identify themselves, at least in ours and most of the ones that I attend, as whatever they want or, you know, not at all. I mean, I guess it's technically the qualifying that people are doing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I can just say that I'm Angela and then start talking. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's not a big deal. Or right. I can say that, that, you know, I'm Angela and I'm alcohol free or, right. you know, or if I'm at a regular meeting or a traditional meeting and I want to be obnoxious, I will start listing a whole bunch of things um, that I am, including, uh, you know, a vegan, a dog owner. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, but, you know, I'm usually only being obnoxious if somebody's uh, set me off and I, I haven't had enough time to pause. So. Yeah. Well, it's funny, right? That we have to, that we have to qualify ourselves. Like, who in the hell has to come to an AA meeting if they're not an alcoholic? That's, <laughs> that's very that true, Jackie. That's true. You know, that's, that's the thing about it. No, you know, I've actually had this discussion with Angela once before. I, I remember having a podcast with Angela and I said, um, you know, the thing is that nobody really, Nobody really, if you're not an alcoholic, you're not going to stick around for an AA meeting. And I think for the most part, it's true. Although Angela did point out 
that she did meet a young woman who went to enough meetings and realized that she wasn't an alcoholic, but she had other mental issues. Isn't that right, Angela? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was somebody that I actually, you know, sponsored and, um, and that, yeah. Um, after a while she got into some more mental health, um, care and, uh, and testing and, and stuff with her doctor and, and determined that she was, um, rapid cycling bipolar and that, um, once she got, um, treatment for that, um, she, she didn't drink alcoholically cause she only drank alcoholically when, um, she was cycling, um, with her mental illness. And so, you know, she no longer, you know, considered herself an, an alcoholic and, and whether, you know, that's true or not, it's not up for me to say, but, um, I've continued to know her, um, and it's going on probably like 11 uh, years, 10 or 11 years, and she doesn't drink alcoholically. <laughs> you know, I've never seen her drink alcoholically. And, um, and so, yeah, so I think that some people may come in and um, be in the midst of a mental health crisis, or maybe just some sort of a, a, a traumatic experience. And then after a while, determine that that they aren't alcoholic. Um, but that's really hard to, to change if you get indoctrinated into saying you're an alcoholic. <laughs> Every time you go to a meeting, you know, I think it would be very difficult to uh, to be able to, you know, go back on that after a while. So, And the thing is, you don't really, you know, the only the requirement says to have a desire to stop drinking. That's it. I mean, it doesn't say anything other than that. It doesn't say you have to, you know, have gone down this far. And, and that's actually a good thing because, you know, now we do know that alcoholism really, truly does run on a spectrum of from one degree to another degree. So um yeah. yeah yeah you have to you have to come in and bring us a report from your er visit showing your blood alcohol right, level right. at the time and then we'll you know determine if you can be an oh i honestly member. thought they might give me some sort of a test before when i went to my first <laughs> meeting because <laughs> i didn't know what i was going to do if they wouldn't let me in if i didn't, if I didn't qualify <laughs> i uh, thought they say man kid you're too young yeah, I've always felt a little intimidated when people say, oh, I blew a O-point, blah, blah, blah. I drank, like, I just never could relate to that kind of, for me, it was just like, mm, no. shit, you know? <laughs> I'm not really terrible. good enough at math to I know what that means, drinking. anyway. But, <laughs> but I, I remember they used well, to know, give me percentages like that too the police would say you blew this that or that yeah. and I, I could never remember it didn't really register to me what it really meant because I'm not I, it just doesn't I, I don't understand anyway that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, when you guys were talking, too, I'm thinking, even when people come, you know, like Angela's friend or, or you know, people who say, well, maybe they're, they're not alcoholic, it doesn't hurt anybody. They're not hurting. It's not, it's not going to kill AA. AA is here to stay. I hope secular AA is here to stay. It's like people are just get so afraid. You know, I mean, again, I got, I got into in 1989 and it was all that, the crap in, on the East Coast about court slips, you know, you shouldn't sign court slips. And like, I mean, who cares? You know, I, people come into a meeting and the secretary will say, oh, would you sign this? And the secretary will be like, no, a group conscience doesn't sign court slips. And I'll be like, hey, come here, I'll sign it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to sign my last name. I signed Jackie yes, because I'm a member of AA signing that court slip. But, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just all the fear, you know. And, I, and again, I want to say, like, I'll put myself under the bus. I... I, I did my time in the AA police, you know, but thank God I grew up, you know. So, um, anyway, I went home, so thanks so much for coming. Seriously, guys, all the work you put into this, it's really fabulous. Just, you know, listening to uh, to that guy's talk uh, in, back in the 80s, that was great. I just I just sent that along to a bunch of people. It was great. So, thank you so much. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll catch, you, catch you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks for calling, Jackie. Nice to hear from you. Okay, do well. Bye. Well, that was nice. Nice to hear from her. Um, gosh, I don't know what else to say about this tradition, Angela. <laughs> I guess we don't really have to beat a dead horse if we've if we've kind of talked about it, and if there isn't any other, um, you know, comments about it. Um, 
I think that oh, here is that someone called no, so, anyway. So anyway, so yeah, I just uh, <laughs> it was a prank caller. They're, yeah, I was hoping. Just, oh god, yeah. someone's calling. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I I I agree. Um I, I did think um that the last comment that uh Jackie made though about the court cards is you know something that still goes on in this area. Uh, yeah, can you, um you know I didn't whether hear people her very good. The, the the audio wasn't so great. What did she say, right. Angela? She was talking about um, court cards. So, you know, people who are assigned to come to AA by the courts and, you know, and there's been a lot of controversy on, on various levels of whether they can do that or not. And, and so that's what, you know, has determined in some areas that AA is a cult and or a religion because, you know, you can't force um, people to go to AA um, depending on, you know, what state you're in and things like that. But here they do. Um, and it's part of, you know, your um, what you're assigned to do, depending on whatever your court thing is, you know, whether it's DUI or, or other things. Um, and so we call them green cards here. And um, and yeah, and so it's uh, it's getting your green card signed. And there are certain meetings where you know that's the majority of the people there a few people who've been sober a little while um and then a, a bunch of you know green card people um and then um and then so some meetings you know they will sign them some meetings say at the beginning of the meeting that they're not going to sign them um our group um we say well we used to say <laughs> that um that you can put your card in the basket when we pass for the seventh tradition and then pick them up on your way out um and then there are some that say if you have a green card just hand it to the person next to you to sign and um you know and then that way if the person just wants it signed and wants to head out they can you know it's it's not that big of a deal but in some some meetings um on some people it, it is a big deal they they uh, don't want people there who don't want to be there but then again you know not many of us wanted to be there <laughs> you know when we started um it, it wasn't on our to-do list it wasn't hashtag you know get into AA. Um, so you know what I find uh, interesting is that so many of the people and that they, um, they take it real serious. In other words, they, I think they, at one level, they understand that AA is anonymous and there's no way that the court is going to be able to check to make sure that the person who signed their card is a legitimate AA member and they were really at that meeting. So in other words, they could just sign it themselves or have their friend sign it or whatever, you know, and, and no one would ever know the difference. But they, the, but they take it seriously, and I think part of it is just the fear of getting caught not doing what they're being told to do. So that always surprises me is that people would actually, you know, take take that so seriously. I actually had to get my card signed for a little while too. When I when I first started going to meetings, I was in this program. I hated it. Um, it was uh, I, I was forced to go to it, and they would I'd have to do a urinalysis periodically, and. I had to take these classes and I had to get my um, card signed to prove I was going to AA meetings. I absolutely hated it, but um, it was like, I always felt like those people were trying to trip me up, you know, that they were like hoping that they would catch me um, doing something wrong so I could go to jail. <laughs> I just hated that place. Um, it was called, called community addictions program. Um, but anyway, I guess I did some people some good, but I just did it cause I had to, but anyway, I remember those days. I'll never forget it. I had to do that. Well, um, I guess we can kind of wrap things up. I, I think that I'd like to talk a little bit about some things coming up on the podcast. Um, I've, I've recorded some episodes and I was kind of behind on getting them edited. So over this last holiday, I did a, I edited like four or five different episodes. And so I've got a lot that are scheduled to come out. So on Sunday, I'm going to post the um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde episode that I did with Sam and that's really an interesting one. We just talk about the book we read, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and how that relates to alcoholism and addiction. And then I did, um, oh gosh, I did a podcast episode with um, uh, Dr. Adina Silvestri, who does the Atheist in Recovery podcast. And I'll be posting that here real soon. Um, and then um, I did the podcast with Dave, my friend in Kansas City, who's a comedian. And, um, who else did I got coming up? I've got some, I've just got a lot of different episodes coming up. Cool. So, and then you have another holiday weekend coming up too. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. you can get busy on all the other ones. Oh yeah. John C <laughs> from our Facebook group. I had a conversation with him. So I'll post that. So actually I have for like the next two weeks, we'll be posting like three episodes a week, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. Cause I'm just kind of wanting to get those out. 
Um, and what I'm going to do with the, the live streams, I'm going to just post them like a week later. So like this one um, that we did tonight, the podcast, it's, so the, the YouTube version and the Facebook version will be there immediately. But the, I always um, also edit them and put them out as a podcast form. Those will be put, put out like a week from today. So a lot of stuff. But I could still use more guests. If people want to be a guest on the podcast, um, you can email me at john at aabeyondbelief.org. Or if you're on Facebook, just send me an instant message or whatever, however you want to get it all to me. I'd love to have you on. I can send you a calendar where you can sign up. And basically all you, all we do is, um, you know, share your story. If you know, um, it's that simple and we can have a conversation from that. Or if there's a particular topic that you would like to talk about, or there's something going on at your home group or whatever. Um, if you want to talk about how you're dealing with COVID anything, you know, I'd love to have you on the podcast and, uh, it'd be a lot of fun. You know, we go for maybe 30, 45 minutes, um, when we, when we do those, those podcasts. So, um, the way it's working though, they'll, it actually be posted like a few weeks after we record it, but um, still would love to have people on. Yeah. And if you're in another um, country and listen to this at a different time, because this is, you know, three in the morning for you or something, um, then still contact John and, and, um, and he can, you know, do one with you at a different time um, so that you can share. Cause I'd really love to hear how some people are handling um, getting and staying sober um, in a different country. Yep. Um, you know, and I've I know we have people some, in mm-hmm. Istanbul and yep. Abu Dhabi and all yep. of that kind of stuff. Yep. Cause I have, I have the time slots all, all throughout so that it would be like a good time for anybody, wherever you are in the world, whether it be Australia or Europe or anywhere else like that. So, and that's another thing you reminded me of Angela, we were talking about doing a live stream, even if just occasionally, maybe on a, um, what would be for us in the morning on a Sunday so that people in Europe could um, participate in those live streams. So, um, I'm, I'm up for that. You know, if you, if you want to do that, um, you know, it might not be a bad idea for those in Europe who might, because I think it's like way past midnight in Europe right now. Yeah. Depending on where you're at. So cool. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So otherwise you're just going to get us, you know, reading, um, conference approved <laughs> literature and, uh, and nobody wants that. Nobody and that's another that. thing too. If there's a, <laughs> something that, that you guys want to talk about on the live stream, um, you know, let us know, or, or, you know, another thing you could do for the live stream, we could ha- just have it like someone could just share their story, like at a speaker meeting, that would be nice too. So if somebody would like to do that, you know, so, um, this is just here, you know, um, we started doing this. When we started these live streams, I didn't know that we'd be going this long, quite honestly. I just didn't imagine that the COVID thing was going to keep me in my house and and so forth for so long. But I'm coming to the realization that I don't think that my group is going to be meeting in person. Uh, Well, the church that we meet at, they're not going to have services. The earliest that they're going to have services is May of 2021. And they're talking about allowing groups to meet there but you can only meet with um, 10 people at a time. And there's only one room where you can meet that has enough room where you can have the social distancing. And then you have to do this regimen of cleaning before and after and mask and all that kind of stuff. So it just seems like for me, I'm not going to be able to go to meetings um, for quite a long time, face-to-face meetings. So this is kind of my AA now doing these podcasts, um, online meetings and, and the sort. So, right. And the great thing about this one is that, um, in the comments, you, you can basically crosstalk. Yeah. You can I, cross-talk I was these, thinking yeah. about that the other day. I'm like, so what is it about the live stream and the comments, um, that, you know, cause sometimes people are, are just, you know, tons of people talking on there. And, and I think it's that, that they get to crosstalk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what it is, is you get to say what you're thinking about what someone else is saying in real time, you know, basically out loud. And so, um, so yeah, so if you, you know, you're feeling rebellious, you know, you can come on here and, and uh, do some crosstalk. Yeah, that chat feature actually works out pretty well. That's really cool. And I love that because it helps us with our discussion. And it's fun to see the people, you know, chatting with each other and so forth. So it's, it's, it's fun. I'm glad that we're doing this. Um, so anyway, thank you everybody for listening uh, to our 
to the another live stream here. We'll be back again next Friday with a, a topic to discuss, and hopefully it will be one of interest. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> I got some interesting comments about the last week's episode, by the way. Or was it last week where we oh, talked yeah. about outside issues? Mm, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting yeah. comments. A lot of people liked it. Some people thought, mm, shouldn't be doing that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the whole idea of the episode. It was like a question, should we be talking about this? <laughs> and I think ultimately, I think we did a pretty good job with it. But anyway, so I'm going to... That's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening. It's just been a pleasure to do this. Thank you, Angela, once again. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. So uh, if you would like to support our site and podcast, there's a couple different ways you can do that. You can uh, be a patron by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Belief and just sign up for a small recurring uh, donation, Uh, you know, $1, $5, $10 a month, whatever. Uh, you can also donate through PayPal at paypal.me slash Belief, or just go to our website and click on the donate button. But if you don't have the money, that's okay too. A lot of people don't right now and that's totally okay. We'll be all right. So anyway, y'all take care. Be well. We'll be back again real soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.